Well, welcome to this new series we're calling Christian Atheists. And uh, it's week one. Those words don't seem like they go together, do they? Christian Atheist is like saying pretty ugly, right, or sweet tart, or act naturally, right? Christian Atheists, they don't go together at all. We've been wanting to do a series for a long time now on what Christians say and what they do. And uh, Craig Rochelle, a, a great pastor and uh, author, he wrote a book with the title called Christian Atheist, which inspired us to do this series. And I would say, you know, that's a great book. Go ahead and get it. But recently there has been a poll that's been taken by Gallup that says 94% of Americans believe in God or a higher power. Now, how could that be true? If it were, wouldn't churches, wouldn't there seats, there'd be no seats available for anybody. If that were true, Wake County would not have just 12% of its population in churches on a Sunday. But yet 94% say that they believe in God. Normally around here, all of us talk about what? Christ followers. That's what we use. We don't use the word Christian because Christian has been diluted down to mean things or point to things that it never was intended to point to. It doesn't define who a Christian is. And so we say Christ follower because it better depicts of what we are to be following him. But for this series, go with us. We're going to use the word Christian and talk about Christian atheists. What is it? Who is a Christian atheist? It is a person who says, I want to live the way I want to live. I believe in God, but I want to live the way I want to live. I don't want it to dictate my life. I don't want it to influence my decisions. That's who a Christian atheist is. One who says, I believe in God, but lives as if he never existed. Christian atheists. Christian atheists tend to approach God like a cafeteria. I was away this week. My daughter looks like she's going to be going to app next year. So last Sunday, we, oh yeah, you can clap, all right. Where's Elizabeth? Yeah, all right. Mountaineers. Um, So I was in Boone last week, and if you've ever been there, the Daniel Boone Inn, yeah, um, They serve family style. So out comes this huge, I mean, it comes out on a cart, a two-layer cart. And you get fried chicken, mashed potatoes, coleslaw, and I have to close my eyes, biscuits with ham, biscuits, um, desserts. And I found myself going, I would like a little bit of fried chicken. You can hold the coleslaw, have some corn. I don't want the green beans. And a Christian atheist approaches God in that way. He says, I will take God when it makes me comfortable and happy, but when it's uncomfortable, keep him that way. I will take his blessing. Give me a scoop of that. But generosity, mm, you can hold that. You can give me a little bit of the prosperity, but you know what? Don't give me the discipline side of it. And, oh, grace, give me a double scoop of grace, right? But you know what? 
that truth there, that looks like it's a little expired. It doesn't look good. Maybe it's gone bad. You can hold the truth. And so we start to pick and choose what we want. And as Christians, there are many ways that we can interact with God. We can talk to him through prayer. He's given us his word. And when it comes down to it, it's how we approach this thing. You see, this is a foundation for this series. This is a foundation that this church uses. And how we approach this says a lot, especially from a Christian atheist. And as we go further here, I want to get one of these in your hand before we go any further. So ushers, if you would come down and hand out Bibles, we give it out every week, and we want to make sure you have one. If you don't have one, it's our gift to you. But there's kind of two ways that you can approach Scripture. You can, there's one way where you approach it and say, I want to either go find in here something that then will match what I want to think, what I want to act, what I want to do and feel. That's one way. Maybe change it, find something that really justifies what we want to do. Or we can approach this and say, I believe God knows best for my life. What in here does he say? Because I will change my lifestyle, my words, my feelings based on what he says. Now, one of those positions is popular. The other one isn't so popular and, and may anger some. But it really gets to the heart of what is an authoritative figure in our life. Where does authority lie? Does it lie in me or does it lie in God? Whose voice is the loudest? Is it Rob's or is it God's? Where does the authority lie? St. Augustine, who lived around 350, he was a bishop, a pastor, a theologian, he said this quote, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, but yourself. You believe in yourself. You see, Christian atheism is not anything new. Go back to the first century. Read the letter that Paul wrote to Titus. Right there in the opening verses of chapter 1, Paul writes to Titus. He says, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. Paul was writing to this young leader, Titus, and he was warning them, hey, listen, there are actually people in the seats. He's saying, listen, there are people there that are saying that they know God but their lives are displaying something different. And Paul wasn't talking about new believers, because maybe you could give them a little bit of grace there. When you read it, he's talking about the circumcised group, the circumcision group. These are the people who believed God for a long time, but yet their lives were were displaying something different. And so you had Christian atheists back then sitting in the seats of the church. Because the church is a very safe place for Christian atheists. It is a place where we can go for one hour and we can say one thing and then we can go out for the rest of the week, right? And perhaps do something different 
for the rest of the week. Some of you, we've all seen them. And, and as we go through this, we have, we do this ourselves. So, but we've seen them. And if they're really bad, I know many of you have been driven from churches and away from the church because of Christian atheists. We call them hypocrites, right? And I'm so glad that you're back in here today where we can look at how can we not be that. I don't think we start out saying, you know what? I don't wake up in the morning and go, Kim, today's going to be a really, really good day if I am able to get people to see that what I'm saying totally doesn't add up with what I'm doing. I don't think we intentionally do that at all. I think it's kind of like a slow drift a little bit. I mean, you guys just started new classes. If you're in college, you started new classes. You have every intention of getting A's. But there's something as you go along that you can start to drift, and before you know it, you've drifted a little bit. Well, this series, as we go on it, is for those of us who are courageous enough to be willing to go and look and say, let me see where I'm living, saying one thing, and doing another. It is our hope with this series that you are challenged, that I'm challenged, that you're encouraged and supported as we go off and look for those areas where we are doing different things and we can shed that and start to live our lives in a more Christ-like way and live out his will for us. But each week in these four weeks, we're going to deal with a specific statement each week. And it's going to go something like this. If uh, I believe in God, but. I believe in God and a big but. (laughs) We actually... (laughs) You laugh, but here's, we actually thought about calling this series Big Butts. <laughs> or Big Butts in Church. Now, could you imagine the videos? Um, where am I? So, some of this series may actually sting a little bit. It may sting you. Trust me, it's going to sting me and other pastors who are teaching this as well because we are Christ followers just like you and struggle with the same thing to make sure that our lives truly line up with what God wants for us. And so it may sting. Some of you may actually think, that we have been talking to your mother or your father or that your spouse has actually emailed us and started sharing everything about you, that's not the case. And I just want to encourage you to stay open. Go with us on this series and let God do a big, big transformation in you because he will. So big but number one. I won't do it again. I just want to see if you were checking, see if you guys are awake and you're not sleeping. This week, we're going to deal with, I believe in God, but I will pursue happiness at any cost. 
You see, now, while it's true that God does want to bless us and God does have great plans for our life, that is very true. But it would be a great human tragedy. It would be a human error if what we believe is life is all about going after and pursuing what makes us happy. Because when we go down that road, we're venturing into some very dangerous territory. We're venturing into a space where we say God's plan for us is all about and is centered on our happiness. And that's not the case. Because the reality is when we do that, we shrink Christianity down to the size of me. We shrink them down to the size of our life, which is so small. And God has bigger, bigger plans for us. But there is a big draw. I feel it. You feel it on wanting to be happy. Go to Amazon and search for happy or happiness. You get 33,000 hits. Now, I wasn't in economics. I didn't get a degree in economics, but I did take intro to economics, and I learned the theory of supply and demand, right? If they're selling that many books, you know that the demand is high for happiness. If they're, if they're writing them, people are buying them. The demand's high. And as I got into pastoral counseling, I saw this. Sometimes people would come out and say, God just wants to make me happy, right? Some would say that. Some would disguise it in some other words. But it would say that. And all of my counseling training would go out the door in that one minute. You know, they teach you to sit at the edge of your seat and to engage and like you're listening and you're attentive and there's no body language that's going to distract. And I found myself wanting, like my eyes were popped out and my hands were on my hips going, what did you just say? And I wanted to shake them. And, and really my heart wanted to be further along in the counseling to the point where they see that that isn't God's greatest desire is for you to always be happy. Because God is not concerned with my happiness. Read Matthew 19. There's this guy. He's a rich guy. The riches weren't necessarily the problem. But there's this guy, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, what do I do for eternal life? And so Jesus says, obey the commands. And he goes, oh, I love this. He goes, which ones? <laughs> right? Isn't that humanity? Doesn't Which ones? And so Jesus rattles off some and he goes, check, check, check. I've done that. What else? So Jesus says, sell everything you have and follow me. And then you read, he went away sad. Right? If Jesus was about our happiness, about his happiness, then Jesus just failed. We have recorded in this book a failure on Jesus' part. But it isn't Jesus' goal to make us happy. He was more concerned with what was going on on the inside that then drives all the stuff that we do on the outside. And so Christ is more concerned with those things that get in the way of full devotion to him. But doesn't it feel right sometimes? Doesn't it just feel like the right thing? You're sitting there saying, aren't there times when you just feel it? You know it's the right thing to do. Yeah, and sometimes that's right. But haven't you ever been in cases where it feels right? 
and then with time you realize it was the wrong thing? Anybody overeat? <laughs> it feels really good when you're doing it until about 20 minutes later and you're unbuttoning your pants button there, you know? Um, you ever been in love? Blinded by, th- and you got people around you saying, you know what, At, before this relationship goes further and further, there are some things, but because it feels right, there are blinders that are on. There are times when we can feel like it's right, but it's wrong. I mean, God did give us emotions, but he says, be careful, Look at the Proverbs, Proverbs 14, verse 12. Proverbs is the wi- one of the wisdom books. So what's the wisdom? There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Have you ever, f- have you ever felt that where you, you, you feel it feels right, but you also feel maybe God calling you in a different way? And there's this gap right here. And there's tension? Do you feel that? Read Romans 7. Paul puts into words that tension that we feel. But it makes you, you read this verse 12 and you say, wait a minute. Are you telling me that I am never to trust my judgment? Is that what this is saying? No, not necessarily. But it does say, listen. Rob, you stand at a crossroads. First of all, do you see it? Are you standing and saying, is, I, the ancient way, I think in the Old Testament it talks about, do you see the crossroads, the ancient way and your way? So we stand at a crossroads, and it's many times right at this spot where we tend to go into Scripture and say, how can I make this work for me? Right? And we say, instead of going, you know what? God knows what I need. And I'm kind of going to go in search of what that is because he knows best. So can you trust your judgment? Yes, you can. When your judgment has been shaped by a relationship with Christ, you can trust your judgment in those cases. If it is not, if you're not in an active relationship pursuing what he wants, there's a fact that God will never just say, well, it's okay, go do what you want. I'm going to allow, you know, Bible calls it sin. I want you to do one thing. He doesn't say, well, just go ahead and I'm going to be okay with it. He's never okay with sin no matter how good we feel or how good it seems like it feels. He is not going to be okay with it. And a lot of times we read verse 12 and we never read verse 13 because it speaks to this very thing that we're talking about. So 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. But read the next part. Even in laughter, the heart may ache and joy may end in grief. You see, happiness is always somewhere else. God knows the fact about happiness is something that's it's always where we are not, right? It, it keeps moving. And we can end up chasing these counterfeits. 
And counterfeits can look different. For some of us, it may be good looks, which I threw out the window a long time ago when I lost my hair. Um, but good looks or better, better possessions or thrilling experiences and all of these things uh, can become counterfeits. And we chase those things. And, and this verse is saying, you know what? Even when you are laughing, even when you are enjoying those things, you know what? Underneath is that, that longing still under there that is not being satisfied. Have you ever gone on the hunt for some of those things? And have you honestly caught it? Like held onto it permanently? Because if you have, I want to know how you did it. Because it usually is fleeting and it moves on. What usually happens is we go and we get far from God. And we, we start to not look at what he has to say. And we get to some bad places. We get to places where dads don't have relationships with their kids. We get to places where decis- unwise decisions are being made. And people are feeling the consequences of that. We've got immorality going on. That's what ends up happening. And God knows that's where it leads. It feels right. Read James 1. He says it feels right, but when you're tempted to just always go with what it feels right, read the rest of it. It's enticing and it takes you down a path that leads to some very dark places. And verse 13 says, hey, listen, you can look like you're happy, but inside, you're still searching. So if God isn't concerned with my happiness, what is he concerned with? He's concerned with my desires. Where do my desires lie? Because that's going to get at whether we're happy or not. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, a lot of times we live our lives like it says... um, Delight yourself in your desires, and you will get what you want. We, like, miss that whole first part, and we read into it what it's not saying. It is not saying, you know, delight yourself in your own desires. As I said, go look where our desires, when they don't line up with God, where they can take you. Go into James chapter 1. Read about that. So you read this verse, and you say, Okay, are you telling me I can never enjoy things? Is, is that what this verse is saying? It's not saying that. You, we know that. I mean, think about the things that we do get to enjoy. Think about, you know, getting out of school in the spring if you're on, like, non-year round. It's, that feels good. Think about getting a, a degree, getting a job, getting married, having kids, excelling in your career, having that baby, you're celebrating anniversaries in your marriage. That, there is a joy and a happiness that comes from that. But they are only glimpses. It's like a gift from God, glimpses of what we were created for. And we get to experience some of that. But you know that the newness of everything, doesn't it wear off? It does wear off. And, and, and it's healthy when it wears off and your heart was in the right place, it's healthy. But when you can tell when it's not in the right place, you're devastated. And that's the spot where God does not want us to go. 
is into that spot because we were created not to be sustained by the things of this world, but we were created by God, for God. We were created to bear his image. We were created to be with him in a relationship now and for eternity. And you see, we get to this verse 4 in 37, and we see the psalmist reminding us that true joy, true happiness, it begins and ends with God. God is not a means to an end. It begins and ends with God. But when I, when I read that verse, it also makes me say, but then how do I get what I desire? Right? It still comes back to me. But then, Lord, how, how do I get what I want? This is the divine part. He changes you from the inside out. He changes your heart. And all of a sudden, you start to desire what he desires and what he knows that you need. And that shows. It shows both ways. Because what we pursue on the inside is actually reflected on the outside. It's why you and I can spot a Christian atheist. Because of what, what we're going after, the truth but what's going on in here is reflected externally. And so a question for, for all of us is, if we are to bear his image, if we are to reflect to the world him, then Rob, what image are you bearing? What are you reflecting back to the world? Have you shrunken down Christianity to the size of you? Because God wants so much more. You see, God doesn't want me to settle for less when I've been created for so much more. You see, the stuff that God wants for you transcends anything that you could ever want to hold on to on this earth. Where he wants to go is much, much bigger. Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 10 says, God has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. What he wants for you transcends anything you could ever desire. Max Lucado in a book called When God Whispers Your Name, he says this, Unhappiness on earth cultivates a hunger for heaven. By gracing us with a deep dissatisfaction, God holds our attention. The only tragedy then is to be satisfied prematurely to settle for earth. You see, if you're saying, I am a Christian, but I want to pursue happiness at whatever cost, it's not going to happen because you were not created for that. Max goes on to say, and I want to kind of paint this picture for you. He says, imagine a fish on a sandy beach. A fish on a sandy beach. Get that picture. Do you think that fish would be happy? But how about if we go and give that fish $100,000 tax-free, <laughs> right? Is the fish happy now? You get a picture of what maybe he's doing after a little while on the beach. 
but how about if we give that fish a nice ice-cold cocktail with a little umbrella in it, and we give them a Playfish magazine? Is the fish happy now? No. You know exactly what the fish is doing. No matter what you give that fish while he is on the beach, it will never satisfy him because he wasn't made for the beach. There is nothing you could put in his hand that would make that fishy happy. Zero. Anything that doesn't come from the water will not fulfill him. Because if we go after that fish, goes after that stuff, it will only make him long even more for the water, for what he was created for. And the same is true for me, is true for you. That if we pursue happiness at whatever cost, is not going to satisfy. It will never fulfill what you're looking for. And as a Christ follower, I need to take God at his word that nothing of this world will satisfy. I got to understand that I was created for him. He put in mankind a desire, a big desire for him. And nothing of the beach will satisfy that desire. Nothing will quench the thirst. Nothing will hold your attention. But what the psalmist says in 37.4, delight in the Lord. Let me let you not settle for anything less than delighting ourselves in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I just, um, I, I'm thankful that you know what we need best, you know, and it's, it, this kind of message is one we hear and say, yeah, I've heard it, but you know, uh, it, it, it always seems to hit home, and I think between now and when I get to heaven and everybody here, same thing, we need to be reminded, how, am I veering off course, because I want to be back on track, and I want to be following you with a full-out heart that's devoted to you. Father, we just leave here and uh, challenge but we know that you go before us, and uh, we pray that we're behind you holding your hand and you're leading, and uh, we know it will lead to a good spot. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.